Now, what would be the odds that that was happening again, that that wasn't a new report? Was that a new report or an old report? That's what I'm asking. Is it a new report or an old report? Is that a new report? Well, we don't know. When a seasoned sports fan teams up with a millennial, opinions may vary, but the debates assuredly won't disappoint. Check your sources. It's New Report, Old Report. Here's your hosts, John Lund and Al Renato. Well, Al, another exciting week in athletics. The NBA finals are here and have arrived and hopefully will prove some excitement. Some of our favorite things to watch, the College Women's World Series is kicked off and unfortunately under delay as we record this. So already throwing a wrench in some of the festivities. College baseball starts their regionals as those teams, the 64 of them, try to make a push to Omaha. Major League Baseball, of course, in full swing, no pun intended. And nobody but nobody circles the wagons, quite like the National Football League, as we know. But while we record this, we've reached finally June, which means finally it's time for the NBA playoffs to have reached the NBA Finals. It takes forever for it to happen, but the day has finally arrived. The Denver Nuggets might have forgotten how to play basketball like those in Space Jam because after sweeping the Lakers, they get to sit at home for a week and a half. But we're all arrived for game one. The Nuggets currently leading in the fourth will probably take, I don't want to put words in our mouth, but there's a good chance they take the first two home games of the series, although the Heat are well known to just stick around and stick around and stick around and find a way to not become the first team ever to lose a 3-0 advantage in the NBA playoffs, despite what some of the sports media pundits would lead you to believe as the Celtics won a game and then two and then tied the series at three. Oh, I've been saying it now since the series started and they were down 2-0. This would be a team of destiny. All sorts of people to now have to apologize although I'm sure they just came into work on Tuesday after Memorial Day weekend and made no mention of it. Just moved on to previewing what the NBA Finals would be with the Heat beating the Celtics and getting to play the Denver Nuggets. On our show, we remained faithful to the Heat despite picking the Celtics previously to the series just because history is on the side of the teams up 3-0. Jimmy Butler has seemingly been able to pull rabbits out of his hat for most of his postseason career. Although after game six, when a tip goes the wrong way and gives the game to the Celtics going back to Boston, felt a little weary about how things were going to go for the Miami heat and you blinked and they blew out Boston in the blink of an eye. So they move on to play the nuggets. We don't have to dive into what happening in game one, but can sort of recap how we got here. What are your feelings on the heat being able to hold on and take down the Celtics looking to make history and seemingly for several media darlings, their hopes light on Boston as well, that this would be the time the curse would be broken. Didn't go out that way. Well, first of all, it is great to be back with you, big fella and uh, all our friends and fans. Hope everybody had a great Memorial day weekend. We have finally reached the Zenith. Uh, which is Rocky Mountain High in Denver uh, against the upstart Heath. And uh, am I surprised they won game seven? No. Surprised they won so easily? Yes. And uh, we said the whole time, and everybody said the same thing. They were consistent about the Celtics. You never know what you're going to get. They're the most inconsistent, good team. Not great. Should be better. Two in the East. Everybody loved them, you know, played a tough finals last year, the Golden State, didn't get it done in crunch time. And this is the bottom line, you know, could they do what they really haven't done this entire postseason the past couple of years? Play well at home in a huge spot, which they really haven't done this entire postseason. And they could not. They could not. After the stunning game six, when a great coach, decided to 
not guard the inbound, which I've seen throughout my lifetime be a regrettable mistake, which allowed the inbounder to roam free first for a wide open shot if his teammate uh, Marcus Smart would have kicked it back to him. But Smart rightfully got the shot up, and that left White all alone to charge the offensive glass, and you saw Struess chasing him. But Struess was uh, late because I guess the design of the play was him not to guard the inbound, but instead to try and deny the inbounds to either Jalen Brown uh, or obviously the Celtic superstar. And he did that. Tatum did not get it. Green did not get it. And uh, the guy he would have been guarding wound up with it. Gut-wrenching loss. Heartbreaking loss for the Heat. Remember, they were dead in the water. Down 10 with three, four minutes to go. And then somehow, some way, the Celtics bit the bit again. And yet the Celtics survived. So there you have to think, well, of course, they dodged this massive bullet. Everything is working in their favor. They've won the three in a row and they now have the opportunity to be the first team ever to do this and they're going home to do it and lo and behold uh very early first possession tatum gets hurt twists his ankle and shows throughout the game that he's struggling suffering never really showing you know, I'm going to grit my way through this and not be affected. Now, look, I'm not saying don't be affected, but he always lets you know he was affected. And he tried, and he gutted it out, and he continued to play, but he clearly was nowhere near 100% physically and not nearly that mentally. This was not Isaiah Thomas, 19, you know, 88, on the horribly twisted ankle, taking his team on his back and whipping him down the court and shot after shot in a miraculous rally that almost pulled game six out against the Lakers before they won in game seven. This was a player who was affected, who looked off, who looked like every time he did anything, it was hurting him both in his ankle and his head. And the the team couldn't pick him up. They were dead in the water. They were terrible defensively. And as you and I have said so many times for the last few years, we both think the Celtics simply live and die by the three. There's no alternative. You know, it's one thing to make them, to take them and make them, and it's another thing to take them and miss them. When you take them and miss them, you got to try something else once in a while, and they never do. They never seem to have a plan B. There is no post-up. You know, they score in transition off their defense, which is great, but there is no times where you see Jalen Brown in the post for consecutive possessions or Tatum in the post. for Now he's hurt. No go-to. They, they just don't have a go-to big guy. Robert Williams, good defensively, but you know, in and out with injuries. 57-year-old Al, Horton lives, Al uh, Horford lives at the three-point line. Um, and you know, the rookie coach, not going to use the term adjustments. The rookie coach, a little overwhelmed, a little in over his head, never really got them doing anything differently on offense. You know, post how about post on Marcus Smart once in a while? Something. Give them a different look. Run your offense through the low post. Uh, it, it just it never changed. And they just kept firing up blanks. You know, White went hard to the basket quite a bit. He showed some effort. And every time they got to seven or ten points, Caleb Martin hit a big shot. And I don't want to say it was a hand ride home for the Heat because that means it was comfortable. The Heat don't play comfortable. They play really hard, a lot of effort. And the team with the better personnel lost, and the team who played harder and better won. They almost let it slip away. But when push came to shove, uh, they got back to what they do best. And the Celtics were as they have been throughout this playoff, inexplicable. And the coach could not do anything to get them straightened away and back into the kind of winning mode 
they had in games four and five when they played really well and a good chunk of game six. Um, so now you have the best team against the toughest team because that's what this finals is. We both think the Nuggets are terrific. They beat us in four straight. They're versatile. They can score a lot of different ways. They're big. They're strong. They're terrific passing the ball. Their best players are one of the best passers in the league. Two-time MVP. Now, of course, being Lord is the best player alive. Uh, when it was Giannis for seemingly ever you know, the last couple of years, but now they're in the finals, so with Jokic. How soon we change. You know, the knee-jerk jerks, as I like to say. But regardless, he's a wonderful player. And Jamal Murray is also on center stage. And he did an incredible job against the Lakers, was basically the reason they won the series as far as I'm concerned, because we had no answer for him. Off to a great start in this game, a little quieter in the second half, but he seems to, to be the guy that really leads them in their half-court offense and is so difficult to stop as a scorer. And he works so well with Jokic. And he's a terrible matchup. He's big. He's physical. He can shoot off the dribble. He can shoot the three. He's got a tremendous mid-range 16, 17-foot jump shot, which is impossible to block. He takes it as a fadeaway. He takes it off the dribble. He takes the runners. He never misses free throws. I mean, the dudes, you know, I'm not saying he's great, but he's playing great. You put that with Jokic, uh, they have two of the best three players on the floor, if not the two best. And that's saying a lot, as well as Jimmy Butler has played in the postseason and continues to play. And Bam Adebayo's have a terrific game tonight. But their supporting cast that had been so good, their free agent guys that were scoring all those points, they're not hitting tonight. Uh, they're not making any threes. And as a result, Denver's been in control of this game. Heat making a little run. But Denver you know, still in control, and their guys, their best guys. You check the box score; they play, man. Yeah, they, they, these guys don't play thirty minutes, thirty-five minutes. They're big guys. They're big six with Bruce Brown off the bench. They pretty much all play most of the game. Little blow early, and then they're ready to go. So um, they're going to be a load, and I'm not saying it's going to be, you know. Four routes, but they are the best team in my eyes. And the Heat have got a lot of work to do because physically they're just, they're smaller everywhere, which Coach Van Gundy talked about tonight. And that's a real problem because you're not getting glad offensive rebounds. And they are doing in game one what they did to the Lakers a lot, literally shooting over them uh, when they were pretty well defended. And he, and there's not a lot you can do to stop that. If a guy's got four or five inches on you playing well and just strokes it over you anywhere from 18 feet to three-point range, and they do it consistently, you're in trouble. And uh, tonight they played a very consistent game. And they've been this way throughout the playoffs. They really have. They haven't missed a beat. They've been very consistent in these playoffs. And the Heat are struggling offensively from three. And, you know, they depend a lot on the three. And tonight was a case where they could be much more of a factor in this game um, had the guys who've been making them made them tonight. Well, let's put our beloved Boston Celtics to bed. Obviously, we have a rooting interest as Lakers fans as to whom was going to win the Eastern Conference no, Finals. us? Not us. We wouldn't do that, would we? We're supposed always to objective. be objective. You're exactly always right. object. Always objective all the time. We won't mention what <laughs> is it one title in the last 36, 37 years, something along the lines of that. Basically, ever since the USSR fell, it's not been the greatest of times for the Boston Celtics. Not that we're keeping track or anything, and not that the one championship still doesn't hurt however many years later from 2008. The redemption was nice. Thank and, you. and, of course, it was, and of course it had to be against us, but as you and I discussed last week, you know, if the Lord, yeah, they got one, but it's still one too many as far as we're Now the whole offseason, at least one of the storylines seemingly has been quieted where – Everyone has basically said on the Celtics, we want Joe Missoula back. 
and then we'll try and figure everything out and hopefully keep this team together. I don't know how truthful that is. I don't know how much Celtics fans want to hear that. I look around from what the Celtics have and on paper for their big three, quote unquote, with Marcus Smart, Jalen Brown, and Jason Tatum, despite still being decently young, have put together a decent enough resume and played together long enough where you're starting to tap your foot a little bit and get frustrated for not having the success that Boston fans are so keen to have had as fans for the last three decades or so with all of their sports teams. So they immediately go to, well, let's break it up. Get rid of Jalen Brown. Don't give him the super max and pay him 200 plus million dollars for five years or however long it is. Just get him out of well, here. B- b- bring in b- some before, leadership. Before you, before you go further, just so folks have an idea, the Supermax for Jalen Brown, not to correct you, but it's not just 200 plus. It's $295 million. Should have went with the three instead of the two. Yes. Over, over five years. Close to three million is a lot better than somewhere over two. 300 million. 300 yeah, million. 300 million. Is, and that's, folks, because he is a second team all NBA because of the structure and the CBA. When you make certain levels of all NBA, it entitles you to uh, get more money from your current team than anybody else can pay you. And he is eligible for this extension uh, this summer, and it's five years. Listen closely. Two hundred ninety-five million. That's fifty-nine million dollars a year for Jalen Brown, who's a really good player. He's not a great player, but he's a really good player. And, and by by all accounts, they're saying, which I would do too. I would try and keep him. I try and keep him for less. Do you think they are going to sign the full Monty here? Or come to an agreement for same years less money, uh, less years same money. What do you think the windup is going to be? Because remember, Tatum is up next year, and he'll be entitled to a similar type of contract worth even more money per year. So, do you, we know the coach is coming back, which I think is their biggest mistake in bringing the coach back. Yeah. But I understand he's a smart guy. Uh, Brad Stevens is patient. He's going to hire him. He wants to give him a full shot with his own staff. Because remember, a good chunk of his staff, or this, not his staff, a good chunk of the staff that were his assistants are leaving for their former head coach, uh, Udoka, who has got the Houston job. And supposedly, what, three or four of them, three of them, are headed to Houston to work for Adelka, which leaves uh, Missoula with, I, I don't know, at his age, does he get to hire his own staff? I'm, I'm not sure how that works. But, it, you know, it will be a group I would think he would have some say with Brad Stevens in bringing in. So he's going to get, I don't know if he's going to get a full year. I mean, if the Celtics start out, you know, 18 and, and 20, you know, 28, he may lose his job, but I doubt that would happen. It's always possible. But you would think he'd get, you know, the opportunity to go one more season and see where this thing winds up. Um, you know, I, I think they'll come to the agreement with Green. I'm not sure if it's going to be the full uh, the full max. But what do you think is going to happen with him? And what would you do if you were them? I would have a hard time telling somebody that scores me. 27 and seven to go away, (laughs) despite how much money that you'd have to give him to have him stay. It seems like there's so much money floating around for these teams now that they almost have to spend. It ain't my money. It's not going to hurt my back. If you bring him back, it's just so difficult to find two guys that can do something together. As we know to get a big two, And then even harder, as we know, to find the third. They just really haven't found that third. And if you like, it was hysterical seeing the roster on the bench and just being reminded some of these dudes that are not only just still in the league, but they're on the Celtics. 
Blake Griffin's on the Celtics? <laughs> what is he doing there? You okay, man? What's going on? You're just there to root, root, root for the home team, huh? Danilo Gallinari's on the Celtics? <laughs> what are we doing with these guys? You're just pissing money away so they could keep a seat warm for you. You look at the rest of the roster, and there's nobody else that's really going to send a shiver down your spine. I mean, Derek White played an incredible series. You're okay with getting beat by Derek White, most likely, with the three other guys that are on the floor. You'll take getting beat by the two other Williamses on the floor. You'll take watching 36-year-old Al Harford chug up and down the floor if those other three dudes aren't going to beat you. They live and die by the three far too much, and when they don't have it, it's some of the ugliest basketball you'll see. But for those three games when they beat the Heat, except for, of course, game six, the flashes of, wow, look what this team can do. It's almost just like they're just missing too much other pieces. Don't get too excited, though, and cut the head off the snake just yet. That's just me. I think it's just very difficult to find talent like that and bring it in and and have it work so easily. I could understand where Boston fans are coming from. This has been going on for a little while now. They're hungry. They're not hungry. They're pissed off. They're mad. They're used to winning. They're jealous. They're green with envy. No pun intended. What's happening? We're not winning championships. Look at the other sports. Keep up Celtics. It's been so long. I don't think it would hurt them to pay him the money and really just find other pieces to help these dudes to be able to throw them the ball in these waning moments instead of having to watch Jalen Brown dribble it off his foot because he can't handle whatever the lights are shining in game seven. There's seven turnovers, eight turnovers. Every time he went to dribble off his foot, off this guy, steal. Dan Levitard asked one of the guys of the heat, hey, were you trying to make him go left once... Jason Tatum got hurt and he kind of had to be the ball. And he's like, we try to make him do that always. Yeah. Well, they both, Look what they both, they both over dribble. As I said before, neither one of them spends enough time in the post because they both have size advantages usually over who is guarding them. They love to step back threes. Uh, they love to go between the legs. Uh, you don't see them get into the post and play with their back to the basket that often. Uh, they don't do a lot of catch and shoot. And they, they're sloppy with the basketball. They, they act like they're point guards too often or off guards with great handles, and neither one of them ever got a great handle. You know, can go between their legs a lot, but they stumble and fumble and turn the ball over, and they get it caught sometimes going between their legs, and they kick it. They love to step back threes, and they've got game. They're terrific players. But I love to have either one of them on the Lakers, absolutely. For one of them on the Lakers, and they're maybe a championship favorite. But the point, if you have to give something up, of course, but you know, it has an addition. But they're not that big as a team. You know, Al Horford spends most of his time around the three point line. Robert Williams, when he's in, he's an effective player, but he's always hurt. And you never seem to get more than 20, 22 minutes out of him. Uh, you never know what you're going to get with Smart. Fights with the officials all the time. Non-stop complaining. Sometimes he'll hit the three, sometimes he won't. Sometimes he just disappears. Brogdon had a great year, but was hurt and should not even have played in game seven. He was horrendous the time that he was in there. He was a huge disadvantage for them and should not have played at all. And White was one of their best players, you know, who I am confounded by because I never think he's that good, and, but he was terrific. And you love, you love his attitude. He goes to the basket. He doesn't settle for he shoots a lot of threes, but he will also go to the basket and you know, be aggressive, which I think their team needs to do more of. But I think they need some more size. I think they need some more size from the offensive standpoint. And even from the defensive standpoint, because when that lineup is the big lineup with Williams and Horford, it's a slow lineup. And there's really not still a a guy that they can go to inside. 
you know, Williams is not a big go-to guy. Uh, inside, he's a catch-and-dunk guy. Not real offensive-minded in the post. And we know Waldell likes to live at the three-point line. So I think they need a, a greater presence inside offensively. I think they need some help inside defensively in terms of depth. And I, I don't like the Met. I don't like the Knicks. You know, I don't like these two guys with Marcus Smart. It's the best way I can put it. And it's not that I dislike Marcus Smart. I'm not crazy about him. I think he's a winning player. I don't like him with these guys. I don't think he's a good fit with these guys. I think they'd be better off with more of a pure point guard type than, you know, the six foot five inch defender um, who will sometimes make a three, sometimes take too many threes. I think they'd be better off with a more, a smaller, more skillful point guard. Maybe, you know, a guy like Fred Van Fleet. Doesn't have to be a star, a superstar. You know, I'm not talking about Kyrie Irving, but I think Fred Van Fleet would be a big improvement for them. Be a big improvement for us. Um, but I think they need that kind of a player who can create more off the dribble for those other guys so they don't wind up dribbling at the end of the shot clock all the time and turning the ball over in big spots. Um, but Marcus Smart is signed. Unless he's going somewhere via trade, I don't see it. Uh, White is signed, I believe. I'm not sure. Brogdon is signed. Uh, so all these guys are pretty much in the fold. Uh, the main guys are not going anywhere. Williams is probably, well, he's he's an unrestricted free agent, I believe, Grant Williams. So chances are, I think he may be going. But we'll see. Uh, yeah, I, I just don't know quite how to fix them if you're going to have the big two and Marcus Smart. I think that's where there has to be a change. And I don't see it happening. Like I said, it's not a knock on the player. I just don't like the fit of him with those two guys. I love those two guys together. But I think they need somebody who can do a better job helping them out to excel without having to do it themselves. You know, get them shots in certain spots. You know, keep them from over-dribbling. And not have the offense go through them dribbling the ball all the time, which it seems to happen way too much. We'll see. We'll see. There are guys that like it there for the Lakers too, but they're you know we'll discuss that at a later date. But uh, uh, you know, and Celtic fans are pissed. They're not hungry. They're pissed. They're pissed because you know they went to the finals last year. They go to the conference finals seemingly every year. Last year they went through the conference finals with the comeback against the defending champs, and in a series they probably thought they could have, if not should have won. And now the goal is to win it. They don't even get back there. After they go through hell to get to the conference finals by struggling against Atlanta, by falling behind against Philly 3-2, then coming back and taking the last two, then falling into the abyss against a team that nobody thinks is as good as them, and then digging their way out and clawing their way back and they go at home and play them like shit and just totally giving it up again where you think you're like, you know, I'm scratching, I'm clawing, and boom, what happened? I fell right back into the hole. Let's take a quick break to pay the bills. He's Al Renato. I'm John Lund. We'll be right back with the new report, old report here on Sports Radio America. We welcome you back. I'm John Lund. He's Al Renato, and this is the new report, old report. We had picked the Celtics to win over the Heat in five or six games. It's still an incredibly disappointing result. It was just very interesting to listen to the the pundits talk about Greeny. this is it. Greeny. This is it. Greeny. I'm the first one. On, on paper, like it's would it have been this amazing of a feat on paper? because of the seeds and the play-ins and the Celtics' success in the regular season. Now, this Heat team, I don't think people are remembering, pretty similar to the ones that we're getting to, I don't know, NBA Finals games. Very similar of a team. Of course, Jimmy Butler is leading the way for that. 
But the core of the group has been with each other for a while. They went to the conference finals last year. They're number one seed last year. Obviously, this year is is not. And lost the seventh game at home. I understand the seed. I understand their season. But the guys are there, man. How much is Tyler Hero on the bench hurting you? How much is Victor Oladipo on the bench hurting you? It is. But is it enough to, like, this was the easiest end result that you could have ever had in sports to some of these dudes. Like, let's play back-to-back nights. Let's just get it over with. It's so obvious. We don't even have to play the games. Meanwhile, Eric Spolstra is saying, after game six, I can't even wait these 48 hours to see what we're doing wrong, get back on the floor and fix it. Let's go. We got it. The confidence that he has and the execution for what he wants to do, like completely changing how they handle pick and rolls in the zone in game seven, stuff that the Celtics hadn't seen. You blink your eyes, the game's over with. And whoever put the the sound microphones, like I don't know how that works for you being able to hear the rim after a miss, but some of those Celtics misses, man. <laughs> During that game, it was like somebody dropped an empty bucket from Home Depot down a flight of stairs. <laughs> Yes, banging off the rim. These deep misses. As the TNT guys said after the game, you're 0 for 10 to start the game. Stop fucking shooting those things, man. They would have said that if they weren't on national television. The FCC wouldn't have gotten angry. Do something different, especially after game six where it wasn't working for you. Oh, they nine for 42. Jesus. I mean, some of that has to be on the coach, you would think, but like they're not going to look over to him for every offensive set. Oh, should I shoot it now? That's who they are. They're going to just chuck it up. But you got to know as a player, if you don't have it, figure something else out. It's the last game of the season. It's not going to happen the next night. And this is where Joe Mazzula gets in trouble. You know, they ask him in the post game, do you think, you know, you're, you're too reliant on the three? Instant, no. Well, Joe, that's the end. Can you be a little more explanatory there? You don't know why. You know, because they were good shots. You know, that's the way we run our offense. The shots were there. We just didn't make them. It's a make and make or miss. The fan that's a make or miss league. But, you know, just no. Why didn't you try something else? You know, why didn't you run your offense through the high post. Why didn't, you know, you take advantage of mismatches? You know, because you've got some bigger guys out there. Um, I don't get it. I don't get it. You know, he's not good with the press at all. He's very short. Um, You know, you can be that way when you're Bobby Knight and you've won championships. Or, you know, obviously Bill Belichick, uh, who's won a gazillion of them and is terrible in the press conferences you know, Mr. Personality himself, yeah. you know, in San Antonio, you know, the wise ass, um, who, by the way, you know, without David Robinson and Tim Duncan, <laughs> a very good coach. Um, but the, the, the point is they ask him questions, which are legitimate questions. And he has these very short belligerent answers. Like, you know, that's all I have to say. And, you know, these aren't yes or no answers like when you're on trial or when you're on the witness stand that can be answered with yes, simply yes or no. The, the press is looking for some, you know, some explanation as to why you think your answer is no, not just no. And that's what we do. We, we go nine for 42, and if it's, not, if it's not working, we lose. And if we go, you know, 18 for 42, we win. Well, we, Nine for 42, there was a stretch long before at 42, you weren't making them. Um, so you're going to keep shooting them or are you going to try some outs? That's, if that's their, their approach and their attitude, it's not working because you're not winning championships. You're not winning the most important series. You're getting to a point where you make enough of them to get against, you know, to beat inferior opponents, and then you run up against opponents that are as good as you 
or better, or in this case, smarter, more experienced, played better. I don't see more experience. Celtics got plenty of experience. Um, played harder, played better, more well coached, and, and you had no answers. And you know, that's still got something to do with the coach. I'm not saying you know, it's all the coach's fault, but he's got to figure out, or they in his organization got to figure out that there's only one team ever that does this and wins championships. Uh, and that's the team that is the best three-point shooter of all time. And, you know, another guy to go with him who was in his prime, I give a three-point shooter. They're the only ones that have ever done it where you just live and die by the three. And still, they don't shoot as many threes usually as Boston does. Um, and obviously, Golden State was able to do it because they had, if not the one of the greatest shooters of all time, the most prolific three-point shooter of all time, and his splash brother, who in his prime was terrific as well. And when those guys are rolling, and oh, by the way, two of those championships, you had maybe at the time the best player on the planet, uh, if not the best, certainly in the top five, let's be conservative, Kevin Durant, so who's also a hell of a shooter. So that's tough, all of whom are far superior to shooters to anybody the Celtics have now, right? Any one of those three guys is a better shooter than anyone on the Celtics from any range, including three-point range. So that's a huge difference. They were able to do it. Nobody else has been able to do this. There's a reason. It's hard to consistently shoot from there when you are well defended. Uh, and even when you're not, even when they're, when you have open ones. If you're not great shooters, because those guys aren't great shooters. They're good players. They're not great shooters from any range. Dunks, layups, they're all great shooters. They're not great mid-range shooters. They're not automatic. They're streaky from everywhere, which means they're streaky from three as well. And it bit them in the ass. Simple as that. That's a shame, as Jerry Seinfeld once said. So the Heat fall down 1-0 to the Nuggets. Denver wins 104-93 at home. No surprise. No surprise. Although if you're the Heat, you probably don't hate the results. Being away, Jokic and Murray get their 27 and 26. It's not like they went off. Like that's their seemingly now that's their base, their median before they have some of the games that they do. Jokic, another triple double. No surprise. Porter and Gordon, 16, 14. Okay. They didn't really light things up either. But if you're looking at what your players did, you kind of wasted a Bam on a bio game where he goes 26 and 13. You'd like that to obviously come in a win. Jimmy Butler just gets 13. Gabe Vincent still lighting it up with 19. What really stands out and what you'll shake your head at is the gentleman aforementioned that was tasked with guarding Jason Tatum and then unfortunately was too far behind White for a layup with 0.2 seconds left. Max goes 0 for 10, yep. 0 for 9 from 3. Doesn't score. Yep. That's your starter. My goodness. You make two of those, you're in the game late. That's going to hurt you. And Caleb Martin, who was huge, also you know, got off to a terrible start. Terrible start, terrible finish. Those two guys were huge uh, throughout the series against Boston. Obviously, Caleb Martin could have been the MVP uh, of that series for sure. They gave it to Butler. And they gave them nothing tonight. So despite the effort from Vincent, and uh, who's very good. But, you know, if Butler gives you what you're expecting and hoping for, well, you're right there. Because you got the big game from Adebayo, who played really well against Boston in the first three games, was not very good the next three. And then, even though he didn't score, had a strong game um, on the defensive side and a Offensive and defensive last in game seven. Passed well. It's some big buckets down the stretch. Tonight he was terrific. But you know, they stunk it up from three. They stunk it up from three. And again, they are pretty dependent upon the three-point shot, especially since they're smaller. And um, they dug themselves a hole. And two of their guys that rely on making them, Martin and, uh, and Struis, could not do it. Could not, you know, you put the ball in the proverbial lake if we were sitting in the boat tonight. 
and uh, that really kept them from getting into the game because they had a lot of good wide open strokes from those guys, um, which we've gotten used to seeing them make a good chunk of them. Yeah, not all of them, obviously, but you know, forty percent the way they've been shooting, if not more. And tonight they didn't make any. So that was a, really a, a huge deciding factor in this game. I don't want to speak like a captain obvious, but obviously to beat the Nuggets, you're going to have to keep this score around that. And then you're going to just have to score some points. I mean, yeah, it's, score, it's not score, really that hard. The score was okay for the Nuggets. Yeah, it definitely um, was. You, you keep them to 110, you, that, that's, you're fine there. You need to score more. And that's, that's the problem. So there's the NBA. How do you think this series will be when we speak again in a week? Are we still talking about it? I mean, we're, we'll talk about it. But are we talking okay, I, about I, some excitement and it going further than maybe even the a gentleman's same guy, The same guy who picked the Celtics in five over the Nuggets in, or over, over the Heat is taking uh, the Nuggets in five over the Heat. So that's where I'm going with um, – Better team, bigger team, bigger team. Difficult to deal with size-wise. I don't know which one the Heat's going to win. Maybe they'll win game two. I don't think they will. Um, you know, I, I think they'll win, go home down 2-0 and, and win a game there. And I think Denver will finish them off there. I could see it being 2-1 when we next speak again next week. I could see that. That's what I'll say. 2-1. And that's great for the sport because so many people are still complaining about Denver not having any juice. No one's going to watch these games. Just be quiet. Either way, whatever team wins, there's going to be enough great storylines to talk about for the week that you want to afterward before you immediately pivot as fast as you can to football. It'll be fine. You'll find something to talk about. And if you can't figure it out, that's what you're paid to do. Oh, they're not a fun team. There's not enough stories. Find one. I'm fascinated by Jokic as a person. He doesn't really, how does this impact you winning the Western conference finals and going on the NBA finals? Eh, <laughs> got to go play with my horses at the farm, my wife, my kid are at home. Basketball's not really my life. I'm good. It's nice to win, but I'm okay. Just talk to him about that for 10 minutes. I'll listen to that story every day. Fantastic person. It's fascinating watching what the Denver Nuggets are doing, and we'll see how they end up against the Miami Heat. Miami will be bumping on Wednesday. We could at least say that. Let's take a quick break to pay the bills. He's Al Renato. I'm John Lund. We'll be right back with the new report, old report here on Sports Radio America. We welcome you back. I'm John Lund. He's Al Renato, and this is the new report, old report. So there's meetings going on in college football. The SEC guys got together and Everybody's got an opinion on NIL and the transfer portal and pay for play and how we should look at the future and what we're going to do with the conference, et cetera, et cetera. All the high voices, Greg Sankey, Nick Saban, Eli Drinkowitz, thinking he can get into the conversation comparing playing his players to his pediatrician brother-in-law not making enough as the guys on the football field. Very interesting comparison that he made. The SEC decided that they're going to stick with their eight game conference slate for the 2024 season. And they're not going to have divisions and they're basically just going to welcome in Texas and Oklahoma, whom as we know are leaving the big 12 to join up and not go to nine games yet, because that's going to feature three permanent opponents and like longstanding rivalries are supposed to be put into consideration Six rotating opponents. How many? How many are they going to have this year? They're sticking with eight. How many teams? Sixteen, right? Right. How, how do you not play ten conference? Games? How do you not? At least go Forget to nine. Twelve. How do you not play ten conference games? 
That's just ridiculous. I just don't think that they wanted to go for the effort and like have to make the changes to go and make nine happen. I think that was really it. And we saw during COVID and during times of urgent, oh my God, we need to find a game in four days. It's doable. You can move things around you're, and fix the schedule. You're the, drop inside. you're the inside guy. What is the mindset upon going away from divisions? I think they want to make sure that their two best teams, well, their best teams in general, but specifically the two best ones for now, are going to be the ones that make the final game so they can have the best chance of getting the college football playoff. So they're just going to have the two top teams, uh, like like the Big 12 has been doing with, what, 10 teams? Right. Right? Big 12 has 10 teams. Right. Until it's restructured. This year, it'll be 14, and then they'll go to... Well, th- for now, they'll have 12 for the 2024 season, as it stands right, today. But, 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 th- but this season, they will have... This season is 14. The, the four new... Four new are correct. coming in, and Texas and Oklahoma have to stick around still for there, one last season. still right. there. And then it will literally be, unless they add more, 12 teams It'll be back the to 12. the Big 12, yep. It'll be 12 teams in the Big 12. Um, unless you know, unless Colorado leaves, the way it's looking now, it's not going to be. But as we stand today, they will be the Big Twelve in twenty twenty four in the SEC. If God knows, so so you've got sixteen teams. Are, are you going to tell me that next year they're going to play with eighteen teams and not have divisions? Is that possible? They will have eighteen teams and they will not have divisions. You can't be telling me that. You know how they roll, Al. You know Greg Sankey. Yeah, but they've been they've had divisions. They have. Now suddenly they're gonna go away from the division mindset. Yep. And the division setup. With their sixteen, they're gonna add two more next year, and they're still not gonna be in divisions. That makes no sense to me at all. None. None. Now you play a ten-game schedule. You play, you you play a ten-game schedule this year. You know, two eight-team divisions. You play everybody in your division, all right, seven times. You play the other division three times. There's your ten games, and you play a couple out of conference. Play a couple of meatballs. You maybe play one meatball and one good team out of conference. But the point is, you got come on. You got sixteen teams. That's ludicrous. And not having divisions, it's, it's it's a mind-numbing setup. It's bad for college football, and it looks bad. It looks like you're being pigs. I mean, well, you are, <laughs> you know, <laughs> if the shoe fits, but you're acting like pigs. Uh, and it's no surprise that let's obviously make the moves that benefit our conference the most. Forget about the whole of college football. So to keep it at eight and to kind of just be normal, if you will, for 2024, you're still going to have the opportunity to have more teams make bowl games before the college football playoff expands. I think that's kind of what they're looking at, too. Like, hey, well, let's still get in as many teams as we can for bowl games, despite people not really caring about that. Then when we go to 12, we'll start thinking about what's going to be the best benefit for us then. Should we go to nine? A lot of people are saying by 2025, it'll be done. They'll go to nine. Don't worry about it. Well, should you really be able to trust the SEC with the future? I don't think so. Who knows how many teams will be added, subtracted by then? All they've said is we're going to announce the 2024 schedule June 14th, so in a couple weeks, and basically get excited. Okay. And they also threw in if you're storming the field still, which they've tried to do away with as the new report, I love it. Storming the field. That is not the fines. First time is a $100,000. Second is two fifty. Third offense is $500,000 and it's $500,000 for every additional offense after that one. Now for one, hopefully you're not storming a field three times in one season, unless you just, 
went winless the year before. And now you're just like, if you're Colorado and you were so fucking bad last season, and now you just start upsetting all these teams in the pac 12. Go ahead. He's torn the field every game. Go ahead. Dion will be leading the charge with his nine toes running out there on his cowboy hat on. Who's going to be the first team to make storm in the field, the tradition, right? It's not their money. What do they care? What are you going to suspend the student section from the games? I mean, I obviously going to a division three school in Scranton that didn't have a football team. Haven't had my fair of field stormings, but when there's a time and a place for it, I'm all every game, every game, every game, (laughs) win or lose, especially Colorado fans. Go ahead. Dion's got money. He'll pay the fine. Oh, that'd be great. What are you going to do? Ban the students? Go ahead. I just don't understand. I mean, I get it for safety reasons. They're going to also increase the security. Visiting team and game officials are, are supposed to try to clear the field and the home team maybe can avoid penalties that way. Like one of the best scenes that you'll see is when Tennessee won the students took the field goal post down, ran it all the way down to the river, tossed it. I'm like, that's great. That's college football, man. You just have to cross your fingers. Nobody's going to trample somebody. At the end of every game, a spot to be determined in the stands, always different. The mascot pops up (laughs) and he leads that section down and everybody follows thereafter to storm the field every game. And, like, what's the gauge or number that you have to surpass for there to be the fine? Like, if it's three or four what, what, people, does that still legit, count? What, no. what constitutes a legitimate field story? Right, exactly. <laughs> what's the head count where, okay, that's the 500,000. We, we got it. Maybe there'd be enough security to somehow curtail these potentially drunk college students from running onto the field. Good luck. No shot. But you're going to... A couple are going to get by. You know, we've played Red Rover growing up. You, you can't stop everybody. There you go. A little college football for you. We'll obviously be able to get more into baseball now and tell you where some teams stand. Some teams are playing incredible baseball. The pitch clock is great for people that are looking to get to bed by 10 o'clock in the night on the East Coast. It's been fantastic. Games are flying by. You don't even remember when to tune into them if you miss a couple innings. Usually you'd be able to say, well, it's about 8.15. They should be in this inning. Now you have no idea where the game's at. Who knows what's happening in Major League Baseball? We'll update things on the NBA Finals. And as we always mention, there's always something with the National Football League. Al, it's always a pleasure. We'll do it again next week. Always my pleasure, Big John, folks. For my partner, the great John Tiny Lund, I am Al Renato, a.k.a. from White Plains. This has been... The new report, old report. Have a great sports weekend, everybody. We'll be back 8 p.m. Eastern time here on Sports Radio America. You can listen at sportsradioamerica.com and interact with the show there as well or find us on the TuneIn app by searching for Sports Radio America. You can also follow John Lund under the same handle on Twitter at London Bridge. Thanks again for listening.